This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. This is this is rule number one for radio of why you book guests when you can book a guest. All right, let me just tell you a quick story before we get on to Dawn. Back about September, maybe, I think it was, I came up with this idea that I wanted to have, there was something going on in the world of astro- astronomy or astronauts or something, I don't know what it was. And I thought, I wonder who the last guy who ever set foot on the moon was. And I looked it up because I didn't know off the top of my head, I'll be honest, some of you would know, but his name was Gene Cernan. Last man, the last person, when the last rocket took off from the moon to come back to Earth, he was the last guy to have a foot on the moon. And I thought, what a cool guest to have. That would be really neat to have been there and be the last person. And I got in touch with his people, and he was really, really busy, but they said, hey, no problem. It's just, it's really tough right now, but sometime early in the new year, Gene would be happy to come on with you. Well, Gene passed away today, so... (laughs) Sadly, I mean, he was a, he was an American hero, but unfortunately that means we're not having Gene Cernan on the radio anytime soon. I would have, that was one of those guests I would have loved to have had, but c'est la vie, right? It's, uh, unfortunately it happens, sympathies to he and his family, but, um, we tried. It's one of those ones, Don, you know, you try, you hope, sometimes you luck out, sometimes you don't, but you're here. So we've lucked out tonight. <laughs> I'm here and I think. As interesting as the last guy that walked on the moon, I still love that interview about the guy that went over Niagara Falls, rolled a barrel. Yeah, Roger Woodward. You certainly find interesting people to have, uh, perhaps outside of me. If we can find anyone who has done anything so beyond ridiculous and unbelievable, if you if you can find, you know who we should have had on, or or should have, except it was a scam. Remember Discovery Channel did that thing where they got the guy who was going to be eaten by a python. He got into a special suit and they and this giant world's biggest python was going to swallow him whole. And he was going to live and he had a camera, like a GoPro on his head. And it was going to be the whole thing of I was eaten alive by a python. And then it turned out that I guess if I recall the details correctly, he bailed on the whole thing right away. Not surprisingly, I wouldn't want to be eaten by a python either. Well, Evil Knievel didn't really jump the Grand Canyon. If well, Snake River Canyon. Snake if I, River Canyon. Pulled if I could, shoot pretty early, not that I blame him. If I could have had Evil Knievel on this show, Don, yes. that would have been show number one. Evil Knievel, to me, would be the guest you want to get. He, he, he was, he was, he's perfect because he would have said anything, yep. he did everything, and he wouldn't be afraid to talk about it. In fact, he'd love to talk about he, it. He, uh... Talk the talk, but he walked the talk too. Eh? He looked- the there is there are very few images that I recall video images in my life that have res have burned as much of a imprint into my memory bank as that one that slow motion of him at Caesar's Palace when he overshoots oh. the ramp and then bounces and joints are bending in in super slow-mo joints are bending in directions they shouldn't go and bones are breaking and heads are bouncing and really going to date myself it really looked like an episode from super dave on sctv <laughs> really no it, when it was just a dummy that was doing that stuff it was and it was yet it was a human and he broke almost every bone in his body and i i, I just remember thinking okay you know what I know you're just a publicity hound i mean as a kid i could understand this but if you're willing to sell out that hard for some attention, I'll give you that attention. I remember sitting around after a ball game one day, and they said, you know, he's probably a drunk. And I went, a drunk? I'd be hammered all the time if I lived my life like that. 
I mean, wouldn't it help to have a couple shots of Jack Daniels before you decide to jump over the fountain and kill yourself? I met his uh, his son one time, just very quick, just, you know, we were standing in line someplace together and uh, just said hello, and that was the extent of that. It was at a media event, and he happened to be there as one of the celebrities, I suppose you would call it, and so I said hi to him, and I also met, uh, you know who else was at that one? Was um, Putty from Seinfeld. Really? <laughs> Remember Putty, the face yeah. painter? <laughs> yep, yep. So you meet all people. You meet all kinds of people. But yes, the Evil Knievel. Man, I wish we could have Evil Knievel back. Evil Knievel, Evil Knievel was everything that was right about the 1970s. He was the 1970s wrapped up in human form. I mean, if you had to choose three people or three whatever, to be the 1970s, it would be the Bee Gees, it would be Evil Knievel, and it would be Derek Sanderson. And I don't think that you could probably go too far afield with those three and say, yeah, they pretty much reflected what the 1970s were. And they all had a lot of things in common. Their, habit, their habits were similar. And if you want to trade out Derek Sanderson for Bobby Clark or, you know, that's, no, that's fine. I think Sanderson's a good pick. Or Mark the Bird Fidrich. Any of those guys, but yes, that's uh, Evil Knievel, man. Dare to Dream. Those those folks who had radio shows back then, man, they must have just been living the dream when Evil would walk in <laughs> half, uh, half baked on uh, wild turkey. I think that was his drink of choice. And remember- Sp- Spaceman Bill Lee. Remember when right near the end of his life, Evil Knievel did those TV commercials for that thing that helped the pain thing where you clicked it? It was a a clicker thing that you would put against your body and then press a little clicker. And I was thinking, Evil, you're going to need a lot more than that little clicker for the injuries you've had. He's a body wrap. He he needs to just be dunked in rubbing alcohol and, uh, and have it absorb into his body, quite honestly. But anyway, let us move along. Uh, are you buying what the Toronto Maple Leafs are selling right now? Do you believe that this team is really as good as they are looking, or is this a hot streak and we're going to be heading back to talking about how the Leafs really are still in the throes of a rebuild, not a team that looks as promising as they are right now? I think, uh, I don't know if they're selling anything, but they're going to have to try and sell something, right? So perhaps they're selling it. I think it's a wonderful learning curve with a group of young guys that are finding out that they can win, they're good enough to win. But when you've got these young guys walking around, walking into the building every night thinking they can win, it's a wonderful thing. But with the age and the inexperience of them, this thing can circle the drain quicker than anything you've ever seen. And they can win two of their next 14 in no time because they'll lose their confidence, they'll lose their swagger, and it's a lot harder to put back into kids. Um, if you look at the um, when the Islanders beat the Oilers, and the Oilers were the talk of the NHL, and realized that they weren't, they couldn't uh, couldn't walk the walk. They found out how to very quickly, but uh, when they found out what they couldn't do, it was dramatic, quick, and it was painful. And the Leafs are not the '80s Oilers that are, we're going to win all those cups. But I use the analogy of the young guys. So they can lose it pretty quickly, and I think Babcock knows that. He's going to run it. He's praising them. He likes the way they're doing this. And Babcock's got the media all figured out. He's a good guy for Toronto. We'll see what happens in three years if they still haven't done anything. 
But, you know, they're the benefactors right now of kids thinking that they can probably almost beat anybody. And zero expectation, quite honestly. I not, mean, not hard to exceed their expectations, is it? There were expectations that they would be pretty good two or three years from now. Nobody thought that they were going to be what they are right now. And so that's just, you're playing with house money right now. So the airwaves are lighting up saying, you know, they've got a couple more young kids. They had a couple pretty good kids in the World Junior. They'll bring them in, then they'll trade for a couple stud defensemen, which is impossible to do in the National Hockey League, although Hamilton went from Boston to Calgary. But those kind of trades are few and far between. And it'll be hard to get a big, strong defenseman that can be a Chris Pronger or, you know, one of those guys, Drew uh, Dowdy. It's hard to get those guys. You almost have to luck out in the draft. You do. You have to get a guy, you pick a guy up in the third round, and everybody goes, wow, he's big, but he's gangly, and away you go. Here's one of the interesting things, because I've heard a lot in the last couple of days of people saying, you know, in the media and people chatting, the Leafs are going to, look, we're halfway through the year, and they're on the, the ascent. They're, they're going to make the playoffs. When was the last year the Leafs made the playoffs? 1904. <laughs> no, Almost. 67. Don't be silly. Uh, last time they made the playoffs was in the season that was only half a season. That was a 38-game year. Wasn't, Something like was that. Was it Carlisle coaching or Ron Wilson? Ron Wilson, I think. But the Ron point was Wilson. the season was essentially as long as what the Leafs have played right now. And they looked okay. They looked like not a bad team. But every other year when you have to play a full schedule, the Leafs have not been able to hold it together. And you look and I go, I, this is the, if you're a Leaf fan, look, this is great fun. This is this is wonderful. When was the last time people were legitimately, genuinely excited about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the future of the Maple Leafs? It's been a long, long time. Probably about a month after the Doug Gilmore trade was the last time people felt this upbeat about the Maple Leafs. But I got to see a second half of a season that they can maintain this kind of, not winning maybe even at the same point they have, but not to fall off the table. Because it would be, as you say, it would be very easy for this team to fall off the table and... and drift into not playoff position very quickly, very quickly. The last run they kind of had was, I think, Brian Burke's second-to-last season there when they, as he said, he didn't see the tractor trailer going off the cliff like this, and they won, like, two of their last 16. Yep. And they were all, they were home and cooled out in the playoff spot, but they must have started reading about it because then they couldn't win an inter-squad game. Yeah, and then your buddy Peter Horacek ended up there, and that you know that was uh, a disaster. But no, it, I, I, um, it to me, it just it, it looks like a team that boy. I, again, you can be excited if you're a Leaf fan, and I can't remember the last time. I can't, Don. I can't remember the last time that if you were a Toronto area sports fan, and if we're living in Hamilton, we are. The big teams are down the road in Toronto. TFC just got to the championship game, but lost in the championship. But still, they were in a championship. The Raptors. Lost only to LeBron James last year. The Blue Jays have been in the playoffs twice. The Maple Leafs now suddenly look like they are a team that is, as I say, definitely on the ascent and looking I can't remember the last time that you had... Now, we didn't used to have the Raptors or TFC. The last time this actually happened, something even remotely similar, if you recall, was the year the Jays won the World Series in 1993... And the Leafs started with 10 straight wins. But nobody paid attention because everyone was watching the Jays. But that's the last time. So you're talking almost, we're getting close to a quarter century since you've had multiple teams in the Toronto area who have real, and I'm not counting the Argos, even though we probably should, but since so few people in Toronto care. It's been a long time since 
people in this area have had this much to cheer for and feel good about. Long time. Well, they're uh, they're on a roll now, but as you said, it could crash and burn. And the Raptors are getting to the point where you're you're just waiting to see how how badly they beat the other guys. I mean, they've quietly become a very very good or basketball team, and 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 it's kind of saved the Leafs a little bit their agony, but it also points out their ineptness as well. But you're right; now they're on a bit of a roll, and I'm here to say, if the Toronto Maple Leafs win a Stanley Cup. Not this year. Any year. Probably not this year or probably not next year. But if, in fact, they ever win a Stanley Cup, it's actually good for the Canadian economy and it's good for the NHL and it's good for every NHL and team in Canada because the interest in hockey rises. There are still a lot of closet Toronto Maple Leaf fans, guys uh, even your age that live in Edmonton, Calgary, lots of transplants that quietly still want the Leafs to win. They don't even have to win a cup for that, though. All they have to do is go on a long playoff run. If they get to the finals, if they do what Gilmore did that year and they get beat out by L.A. because Kerry Frazier made a bad call on uh, when uh, Gretzky clipped Gilmore. But, I mean, if the Chicago Cubs this year had not won the World Series. They'd have been fine. But still got to the World Series. All is well in the world. And, in fact, that would have been a better scenario for Major League Baseball. The truth is, Major League yeah. Baseball would have, I'm sure, loved it if the Cubs got to the World Series and lost this year, because then you've got something to build the narrative for next year that's still hanging there that we still haven't figured out 1908. Now they have to find a different storyline, and I don't know whether that's Cleveland or something else, but the NHL, I have no doubt, I have absolutely no doubt that if the NHL had a, if this was the WWE, and, the, and the, you had script writers who were putting together how it was going to look, how the story was going to play out, the Toronto Maple Leafs would edge closer and closer and closer and closer for about the next six years. Just to build it. And not win, but just always get a little bit closer so that you just, it, oh, oh, okay, we're a little closer. Oh, no, we missed again. Build the suspense and finally, six or seven years from now, have them win the cup. I mean, finally end it. But you don't want them to win it the first time out. The worst thing the NHL could have, honestly, would be this Toronto Maple Leafs team to go and win the Stanley Cup somehow by some unbelievable miracle. If Freddie Anderson gets hotter than any goalie in the in the league, which is the key to winning a cup, yep. and they get on the playoffs and go on some stupid run and win the cup, it would be it would be fun. It would be fantastic for people who have waited since 1967, but that would not be ideal for the NHL. It might be more exciting than having uh, Florida or, or Tampa Bay or Carolina win their second cup. Uh, true. That is that is true. But I think the NHL... So the, N- the NHL are not the WWE who lost a star yesterday. Yes, Superfly Snooker. Yeah. Um, but yes, it's... Uh, I, just, I just look and I go, they would love to see the Leafs have to build to this. Get get year after year after year of of a build up and then have them win the cup and and that would be that would be that would be what they want. Here's just before we go to break. I couldn't believe this when I heard this today, but it's true. Who's ahead in the standings? Toronto or Florida? I'm gonna have to say Florida because I didn't look, but Toronto and Florida are tied in the standings. How and this is the other part about this that I find so interesting. Everything everything is so optimistic about Toronto. Everything is so negative about Florida, and they are tied in the standings. Yeah, but opposite expectations. I under, Well, are there any expectations for Florida? Florida were supposed to make the playoffs, and then the GM fired the coach. He fired Gallant. Well, 
because they weren't meeting their expectations. And the poor guy goes in as a rookie, takes over from Dale Talon, who arguably has built Chicago and now built Florida up, takes over from him and then fires the coach of the year and steps in. Talking about circling the drain, holy crap. I just can't believe Toronto and Florida are tied. It seems like Toronto should be 20 points ahead of Florida based on discussion and based <laughs> on how people feel about their teams. They should. They should. Toronto be. were 20, probably 20 points ahead of expectations. True enough. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, interesting retirement on the weekend. Uh, a lot of actually Friday was a bad day if you are a fan of women's sports in Canada. You had uh, Melissa Tancredi from Ancaster, one of the best female soccer players. I argue that she is arguably the greatest female athlete ever from this city. I put her and Joanne Millar in the same category, one and one A with Dorothy Campbell, who most people have no idea who Dorothy Campbell was because she's back from the turn of the last century. She was the world's best golf, best female golfer for a good long period of time. Cecilia Carter-Smith had a pretty good run. She did. Absolutely she did. But I, I, I think that you can put Melissa and Joanne a step above yep. as Olympians and as multiple-time champions and significant contributors. Anyway, that same day, or was it the next day? I think it was the same day, Haley Wickenheiser retires. Now, there have been interesting positions that have been taken on Haley Wickenheiser. None negative. None negative at all, and and nor should they. Haley Wickenheiser was a pioneer in women's hockey. But some, I, I heard something, and someone was suggesting, like, what is the proper way to honor Haley Wickenheiser? If you're, if you're, can you, I, I saw that the Oilers and the Flames on the weekend they honored her before the game, and I thought it was very lovely. Wayne Gretzky was there, and it was appropriate. And this is a a, a woman who really did change women's hockey. But what's the proper way? She's going to go into the Hall of Fame, right? There's no question she's going to go into the Hall of Fame. She's not there. Well, she's not yet because she has to be retired. So three years she'll be, she'll go into the Hockey Hall of Fame. She'll be the fourth woman, I believe, maybe the fifth. Um, you know, we have Geraldine Heaney, who also lives in Ancaster, yep. who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and uh, and uh, Ray Ferraro's wife, uh, the American. Uh, yeah. I can't think of her name right now. And I don't know how to honor. Um. Is the Hockey Hall of Fame sufficient? It's not a bad honor. No, it's not a bad honor. I mean, what all. have they done for uh, Bobby Orr? Well, Bobby Orr has his number retired. See, here's the problem. I know. He Bobby Orr has his number for... retired. Well, Hockey in Canada Boston. can do that. Why wouldn't Hockey Canada retire her number? And you know they that... don't play in a league, but it's still a team. So you don't necessarily have a number hanging from the rafters, but you say nobody can wear her number again. Well, they have a home rink. It's in Calgary. It's a training rink more than anything, but yeah. I mean, for lack of a better play, but that's their home, and I guess you appropriately honor her there, but perhaps the biggest honor you could give her would be to, like, they, they, they retired 99 across the NHL. Yeah, and you can't, you, somebody suggested, I heard somebody talking today about, well, have Haley's number retired across all hockey in the NHL. It's like, no, you're not going to do that. That's, that's a ridiculous thing. She didn't play in the NHL. That's, that's not appropriate that's that's complete overkill but if you were to say that you are going to retire her number in hockey canada male and female see here's where it gets interesting now you could easily retire her number and i think you should for the female national teams from now on could you retire her number both male and female if you're hockey canada well you couldn't if you believe in the argument you just gave because she didn't play in the nhl why would no, you retire I- her number in the nhl why would you retire her number in men's hockey? 
pardon me, hockey. Well, gonna, because it's you, Hockey Canada. That's her league, for lack of a better. I think. I think the honor. I don't think if they've never retired a number on the women's national team. That's about as high an honor as you can give somebody is to retire their their, their sweater number on the team. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs are a team they happen to play in a league. The Boston Bruins are a team that happen to play in a league. The women's national team are a team that don't play in a particular league, but it's just as respectful to retire her number from that at that level when I don't imagine another number has been retired. I don't think there have been any. I can't. I certainly can't think of any. I. I, I can't. None come. None come to none mind. None come flooding to mind that who should have. So likely they aren't. Right. But again, you take someone like a Geraldine Heaney, who was Geraldine Heaney joined, and if, I'm assuming most people recall Geraldine Heaney. Uh, as I say, she still lives in Ancaster. Coaches. Uh, Geraldine Heaney's got a really interesting thing going on right now. She's the first, as far as we know, the first woman to be the head coach of a AAA minor. Hockey team, boys, in respect. Ontario. You did. Uh, which is kind of cool that they have brought her in to do that because she's a very good teacher, coach. She gets through to the kids very well. Uh, but she was on the national team and a significant contributor to the national team at the dawn of competitive women's hockey as far as the international stage. And if you looked at the level of play of women's hockey when she started, when she first joined the team, back when Team Canada, believe it or not, wore pink and white for one World Championships, it's a different world. Haley Wick, and, and and that's that's fine because men's hockey, if you look from 1950 to you look to now, it's a completely different game. 1970 to now, 1980 to now, it's a completely different game. Uh, I just look at Haley Wickenheiser and I say, you've got to do something. You, she's you, been there for all of it. Like she a has, lot of it, an has, absolute lot of it. Yeah. Well, when I say all of it, you know what no, I mean. I mean, uh, well, she's, what, she's not, eighteen years, twenty years. She's not playing like this year, but but the but the lifespan of women's hockey as we know it today that compete for world championships and gold medals. I don't. Has she missed an Olympics that we've competed in? Don't think so. She's been in four, I believe. Well, that's sixteen years. Yeah. And I don't think we've been in any more than four. She's, well, I don't know. You'd have to look it up. But she's been there for virtually all. So when I say she's been there for the lifespan of it, she really is. She is a lifer in women's hockey. Now, there, I mean, Hazel McCallion played women's <laughs> hockey, but not in the Olympics. Hazel Hazel was only 83 when they first started the Olympics. But but she, uh, when, when you've been around as long as her, then you are a pioneer and certain certainly legendary. So if you're going to pick one... You can certainly pick her to start that process because there'll be few that play that. And, you know, and lots of people that are in halls of fame make it because of longevity. Some people keep athletes out of a hall of fame because they played of so longevity. long. Dave Andertruck. Yep. Dave Andertruck scored all those goals and, and won all those games because he played so long. Really? And that's why you keep him out? Again, back to Eric Lindros. Eric Lindros gets, gets elected. 10 years after he retires, 13 years after he retires, he didn't get any better. No, no people, better now than when he retired. People's positions softened. But let's go back to the second because I want to, th- th- this to me is the interesting thing. Uh, to me, there's no doubt Haley Wickenheiser goes into the Hockey Hall of Fame almost certainly on a first ballot. Uh, and par- I mean, that is, there's no doubt that when I say first ballot, you're allowed to put a woman in each year. In addition to the players from the men's side, there's nobody who's going to be 
knocking Haley Wickenheiser off that ballot, so she gets in. And there's no doubt to me that Hockey Canada should, and for the women's team, retire her number. That makes all the sense in the world. 22 shouldn't be worn again. To me, the really interesting thing is, if you say that she was that significant to international hockey and the Canadian stage, and I would argue that she was, I would be fine with retiring 22 across the board on for Hockey Canada, men and women. It's Hockey Canada. This is and our kids, juniors, world well, juniors. Sure, anything that represents any time you represent Hockey Canada, 22 is out. I would say you do this, this. The same thing should be done for 99. And I would have, you know what? I would have no. I don't think they've ever retired a number, and I would have no problem. The other one. I would have, since they won't elect him to the Hockey Hall of Fame, I would have no problem if Hockey Canada said we're retiring Paul Henderson's number from the 72 series. That's, they won't put him in the Hall of Fame, so this is our way of acknowledging the greatest moment that we've ever had as a hockey nation. Okay, so. There's three numbers. All right. There's three. So let me tell you that Haley Wickenheiser's contribution to women's hockey is gigantic compared to Wayne Gretzky's playing career for Canada. Of course. On the international much more, level. Much more. Well and well it is. I mean she was there twenty four years? Eighteen years? I I don't where's, know if I would 22? say I don't know if I would say that it, it hers it's very difficult to say. I don't know that hers was more significant than Wayne Gretzky's. I think it was because she she brought this she was involved in this in the sport in its infancy. And she's helped grow it across Canada and across the world, Wayne Gretzky didn't do that. Wayne Gretzky has done enough. I I believe he's you know his number should be retired over the National Hockey League across the National Hockey League. But Wickenheiser took the sport from almost zero and helped build it. She didn't do it single handedly on her own. And to compare Gretzky and Henderson like that is a disservice to Wickenheiser. I think it diminishes her contribution. It's an interesting argument. I would argue that th- what they did was different. What what Wayne Gretzky did and what Haley Wickenheiser did internationally were two different things, but equally substantial. I mean, he played in every international tournament that there was, basically until he retired. And you look at the Canada Cups and the other things, he was a, he was a giant, as he always was. And so, I, you know, I... Very different things. You're right. He didn't grow it. He didn't grow it. But if you want to do that, then you go back to the old Whitby Dunlops with Harry Sinden, who were playing in the Olympics and whatever back in the day. And you say, well, those guys were growing it. But I don't want to retire any of their numbers. And I say for Paul Henderson. But the guys in the Whitby Dunlops only played those two years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I say I don't want to retire any of their numbers. But they Henderson the- only played one year. Scored perhaps Canada's biggest goal ever. And that's, why, and that's why I would say, I would, I'm not lobbying for it, but I would have no problem if you said we're going to retire 19. We're going to retire 19. Based on the fact that he scored the three winning goals in the Summit Series. I can argue those are, those are feats and accomplishments that will never, ever be rivaled, ever in Canadian hockey. No, you could have a player score three winning goals again, even in a row, but they couldn't have the impact that his winning goals had. They, they couldn't. There's Unless, no way. Well, you know what? There might be a cold war soon. The guy south of the border is going to create all kinds of interesting scenarios. I just can't think of, is there another, just as we go to break here, is even if we were to say, okay, there are three numbers, whether we completely agree or don't completely agree, but 99, 22 for Wickenheiser, and 19 for Henderson, is there anyone else with Hockey Canada that you would say, I would say 
that that you would have to retire or put seriously into that conversation. I mean, I some people would say, well, from that '72 series, Phil Esposito, and Phil Esposito was the best player on the ice, but he didn't have the he didn't score that goal. That was the, it was the goal that set Paul Henderson apart, not just his. His play. I, I, I don't know if there's another player that even factors into the conversation. If you're talking about significant numbers and contributions of gigantic proportions, those would be the three, I would guess. And maybe, maybe there is one. I, I mean, I don't know if Geraldine's number, um, if you go back that far, or, or somebody before her who really were there at the very, very beginning, maybe, but... But then you're comparing to Haley's contribution on the women's side, and I don't know that anyone can do that right now. So, I look, if you it, set the bar at Wickenheiser, it's going to be hard to beat that out. It is. Uh, it's a long time to be committed to that program when so many of them and go to be off at the to, top of your game. But a lot of them, I don't know how many of them could stay at the top of their game. But life gets in the way because they're not making millions of dollars, like. Laura Fortino. I mean, Laura Fortino's a wonderful young lady. I, I've had the opportunity to meet her. She's a great ambassador for women's hockey, but, you know, um, marriage and, and kids might get in the way. Well, and that's, you know, that's the one other thing that we don't factor into the men's game. No, that's one thing Gretzky never did is have a baby. <laughs> no, but it's, and you don't really think about it, but that's one thing that does, it, it is different between the women's and the men's game, is that you could have a situation where you have a kid or you have a couple of kids, that's a couple of years or a good chunk of it anyway, not on the ice that are out of your career, that are, that are games you're not playing. And that's not a bad thing because you're having a kid, but it, 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 it does affect your career. And we don't, I mean, guys don't do that. Guys in the NHL don't take nine months off because their wife is pregnant. No, they don't. So the guys in the NHL don't seem to take advantage of that uh, plate in Ontario, not plate, but the situation in Ontario where you can take a year off if your wife has a baby. I want to see the first guy try that. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to make my $6 million this year. I'm going to stay home and uh, I'll live on that 480 a week they're going to send me. <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Talking a little sports, Don, uh, later this week, I'm hoping... I don't know if anyone else is. I'm hoping that finally Tim Raines gets into Cooperstown in the Baseball Hall of Fame. His last chance before he's eliminated off the ballot has to get 75% of voters' support in order to get in. And here's the thing. I think Tim Raines is a Hall of Famer. I think Dave Andertruck is a Hall of Famer. So you can take issue with, you know, that's where I stand on these things. But it is so hard to get into Cooperstown that a guy like Tim Raines is a question mark. If he was a hockey player, he would have been in probably on his first ballot. If he was a football player, he would definitely be in Canton. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that it's this hard to get into baseball's Hall of Fame? I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with having the bar set very high to get into a Hall of Fame. When you uh, when you start looking at, and, and I guess the year that I hearken back to is when Clark Gillies got into the um, Hockey, Hall, Hockey of Hall of Fame, and I got thinking, looking at some of the people that aren't in, and I'm going, wow, it, it, it certainly does tell me to a certain extent it's who you know. And if the right guys are on the committee, it's really going to help you, which is, you spoke earlier, probably what kept Lindros. Well, and if you're on the right kept, team. What kept Lindros out to a certain extent. You know, he was uh, he was a different cat. 
You know, he didn't go to where he was drafted and so on. But you, when you, when it's the baseball Hall of Fame and you get in, you know what? You're a Hall of Famer, and you should be damn proud of it because they're not just letting everybody in. It's I I tend to agree. I with agree. You. He should have been in long ago. I tend to agree. And you know, funny thing, because last segment you were just saying, well, what happened? He hasn't played for fifteen or twenty years. What made him better? You know what? The difference with baseball from the other Halls of Fame. What's happened with baseball is writers and analysts and people watching the game, baseball is such a, a, a statistics-driven game, and people's opinion of what statistics are important change over time. Once upon a time, if you're a pitcher, wins were... 300, you were in. Wins, but then people started saying, well, wait a second. How come, remember a couple of years ago when Mark Burley was pitching for the Jays and he had an ERA of about nine, but he won, he was had like a 15-2 record? Because his team, so wait a second, wins are not really a great indicator of how good a pitcher is. We need to go to ERA. And then they said, in, in time, they went, well, wait a second, ERA is affected by defense as well and parks and everything else. So now now we go to whip, which is win, uh, walks and hits divided by innings pitched. So now it's a more direct on the pitch. Well, on and on it goes. Well, what's happened with Tim Raines is he did a lot of things exceptionally well, but over time... He hasn't played another game since, but a lot of the stats that people had poo-pooed earlier on, they're now looking at going, yeah, that was really good what he did. He didn't have as many hits as that guy, but he had a million walks, so he was on base all the time, and he had this. So opinions on certain people, especially in baseball, can change. But I, So that's why I think he should be in there. But again, it's really, really hard to get into baseball's Hall of Fame. And I, I, again, I think it's a good thing. I've always thought it was a good thing. Sometimes in baseball, you have to let some guys with some absolute fabulous stats are going to get in ahead of you. And it has to be calculated in. If it's a softer year, you'll see guys go in and go, this should be Tim Raines' year because he's not competing with, you know, Babe Ruth, Mickey Randall, Mantle. You know, those guys, like when you get a whole bunch of the really good guys and all the stats guys in, they, people – and I'm sure because, uh, oddly enough, they don't give me a vote, but the guys that get a vote say, this is when Reigns will go in. And you have to think the guys that are voting take a look at that saying, these two guys are better. But Reigns should be in. These two guys are better. They're going in this year. Reigns is going to get in, and here's when he'll get in. It happens less so in baseball, though, than it does in the other sports where they say, yes, okay, does. he will get in next year or something. Because baseball, you could actually elect up to 10 guys in one year. But the reality is that people don't. People generally say if he's a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer. If he's not, he's not. And if he's not, I'm never voting for him. And if he is, I am voting for him. And the well, difference is you got to get say, 75 votes to get in, right? 75 percent. And the difference 75%. is, as I said, statistics and tastes and attitudes about certain things that happen in the game change. Tim Raines. If Tim Raines was playing today, he was a f- fantastic player. He was the second best leadoff guy to Ricky Henderson, maybe ever. Him and Vince base, Coleman. Base dealer. Did everything. But if Tim Raines was playing Major League Baseball today, he would be one of the hugest stars of the game, period. Period. Because of what he did and the on-base percentage and the power in the leadoff spot and the steals and all the other stuff and the defense. Times change and people now have a different attitude towards I think he's. I think he's going to get in. I hope he does because it'll be the last gasp of the Montreal Expos if he gets in, because he'll go in wearing an Expos hat almost certainly, and that'll be the last little bit of the Canadian baseball history that uh, that happens right there. That will be, and I think you're right. I think what happens is they look at it, and the things that he did well, 
start coming back into vogue again Absolutely. and become more important. And you're going, there's a guy that did all those things that we're looking for, and he did them very well. And if he was, as I say, if he was playing today, and you're a voter, and you're saying if he was playing today, would this guy be the best player in the league? And he might be. He might be. He'd be right up there in He'd the top two or three. And you say, well, wait a second. If that's the case, and he's up there, he's not He's not Mike Trout. Mike Trout's going to be in the Hall of Fame unless something completely goofy happens. But you're looking going, he would be in the top two or three players, probably three or four players in Major League Baseball. Right now, if the way he played back then, he translated to today, and that gets you in. But it's, it's, so it's dur- tough to get in, though. During that conversation... The, one of the things that's going to help him is guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clements aren't getting any votes. So exactly. it's a little mixed up. That, that helps too. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.